For some today, this may be um, a message that that may hit you in a way that that few other messages have, because I may touch on a topic today that is so powerful and below the surface in your life, but yet you maybe have learned to live with it and cope with it for so long that you have almost developed normalcy in it. What I'm saying is that there is a darkness inside of your spirit, inside of your soul, that you haven't found victory in, but yet what you've learned to do is on the outside cover it over, mask it over well enough, long enough, that that you're just you you're surviving, you're getting by. And Anglican theologian John Stott said it like this: the two chief battles we almost face is depression and discouragement. And I believe just as fear cripples and paralyzes us, so does depression. It can be an element of emotional battles that ends up becoming a spiritual battle that ends up affecting the physical, that therefore becomes a physical battle for wellness and wholeness. 11,000 individuals found that depression is more physically and socially disabling than arthritis, diabetes, lung disease, chronic back problems, uh, uh, hypertension, gastrointestinal illnesses. The only, the only more disabling medical problem was advanced coronary disease. So basically, unless your ticker is not ticking right, most people, most people have found that the most debilitating, the most crippling, the most bedside-riddening them in in a social and a physical context is depression. And again, I think it comes upon us in, in, in sometimes subtle ways and sometimes very overt and clearly in our face kind of ways, but it comes upon us. And, and I think the, to get our hands around what depression looks like is if you were to put it into a mathematical equation, you would take helplessness plus hopelessness equals depression. Helplessness plus hopelessness equals depression. And it's from that equation right there that whenever you look at your circumstances or you look at yourself internally and you say, I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. I don't see any hope. I don't have any help. And therefore, this is now my destiny. I don't have answers. This is now the rest of my life. And I guess it's the life that's just dealt me. And in that midst of hopelessness and helplessness, a sense of despair and discouragement can begin to overwhelm us. Psychology professor at Duke University Medical Center said it like this, depression is the embodiment of emotional suffering. Depression is the embodiment of emotional suffering. It means basically if you know somebody who is in a depressed state, means things in life, I mean, depression really makes sense. It's when our life circumstances or perceived circumstances or feelings or whatever may be going on around us has become so great of a burden upon us that we can't function in normalcy. We can't function out there in this world unless we learn to mask it, unless we learn to cope with it and just go with it and live in the pain. 
It's in a, it, you're, you're looking at a person who is dealing with suffering. I want to give us a few myths on depression before we go much further. The very first myth I think is probably the most important one that I really hope that you get is that depression, this is the myth, depression is for the weak. Depression is for the weak people. And here's the truth. Depression is one of Satan's greatest, most used tools. He will use depression to take the mightiest of men down. In fact, you look throughout Scripture and you'll find the likes of Moses in Numbers 11, 15, whenever he was under such great pressure around him that the the pressures of life were so great that he literally prayed that God would kill him. You look at Elijah and after one of the greatest victories in in the Scriptures in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, these were his words, he requested that he would die. Here's a man, now listen to this, the context of this. Here's a man who had just prayed down fire from heaven. So God hears his prayers. And now you turn right around and you find him praying a prayer, God, take my life from me. Thank God that God doesn't answer all of our prayers. There are some times that we pray, God, I want this, God, I need this, and He knows we don't need that, and He doesn't answer it. And that's some of the times we need to check our, our prayer request that maybe it's all about us and not about Him. But here's He's praying, God, take my life. Jonah, after seeing one of the greatest revivals of over 100,000 people come to become followers of God, of Yahweh, what does he turn around and do? He turns around and prays a very similar prayer in Jonah chapter 4, verse 3. So you've got prophets. You've got mighty men of God. You've got strong men of valor who are literally, after great moments of victory, after leading the people of Israel out of the Egyptian bondage, after all of these great victories in their life, what is, happens to them is depression sinks in. It takes hold of their heart that they would rather die than live. It's a very real part of living. Psalm 31, verse 9 to 10, and then verse 12. It will be on your screen. Follow along. It says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. This is David, King David, who wrote songs, who wrote hymns, who had this great relationship with God, a man after God's own heart. He's the only man in the Bible that is said of him. He says, "My My eye is wasted away from grief. My soul and my body also, for my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my body has wasted away. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am a broken vessel. When you see the imagery of that, as only David could put it into his words, the, the broken vessel, the dead man, he's failed, he's wasted away. Can you hear, can you feel in his words the depression that he was under? The weight of this world was too great that his soul could not bear it. It's a very crippling issue that even the strong and the mighty have to deal with. Depression isn't a weak man's problem. It's a real man's dilemma. It's a real man's dilemma. Modern pastors of a Charles Spurgeon dealt with depression. It was Winston Churchill who called his depression the big black dog in his life. 
warriors, strong men. If there's any one emotion that I think that I have to deal with and struggle with in my own life, as we are dealing with these, I'll just be transparent, it's this one right here. It's this idea that even though things can be great and all things, all signs look great, I can even have those Mount Carmel Elijah experiences, but even in the midst of success and, and prosperity and God's blessing, I still struggle myself with bouts of depression. In fact, I have a little motto in my life, and that is that if, God, if Satan can't make me dirty, he will make me discouraged. If he's always nipping at my heels to try to get me to walk and to leap or to linger into sin, but if he can't get me there, I'm convinced he will enter my life in a way that will cause me discouragement. Depression is for the weak. That's a myth. Myth number two. All depression and discouragement is caused by sin. All depression and discouragement is caused by sin. It's because you've sinned that you feel the way you do. And I will say this, that that is a myth because not all, I would say this, not all depression and, uh, not all depression and discouragement is caused by sin. Some of it isn't, but some of it is. And this is where we have to kind of go inside of ourselves. You take the story of Cain and Abel, one of the very first stories in the Bible. Cain and Abel, the, the, the first generation following Adam and Eve. And you've got Cain offering up his offerings to God and Abel offering up his offerings to God. And God was pleased with Abel's offerings. But He wasn't pleased with Cain's offerings. Uh, how many times have I said in here, one of the greatest ways you can tell the true heart of somebody is at the level of their giving. God was not pleased with Cain's offering, so he turns around and he says this to him. He says, why is your face downcast? Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will not be accepted? Question mark. But if you do what is not right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. See, here it is. Cain is on the, at the threshold. He's already committed one sin. He could have think, got things right in his life and, and made, up, made up for it and got things right with God. But instead, he continued to live in that and it ended up leading to murder when he murdered his brother, Abel. Now just think about that. Here he is. He's, he feels this heavy weight, this heavy depression, this guilt of sin that's in his life. And instead of dealing with it, he continues to live in it. He continues to cope with it, and it ends up leading him to even greater sin in his life. If we don't repent, it's like this. This is what sin is. It's like taking the filthiest, nastiest trash, putting it in a garbage bag. I'm not even putting it in a garbage bag. Let's put it in some high-end luggage, some leather luggage, and let's put it in there, and then let's carry it around with us for the rest of our lives. I don't care how high-end of a luggage you can decorate your trash it's still going to stink. And everywhere you go in life, you're going to say, man, it stinks here. And man, it stinks here. And everywhere I go and everybody I meet, they stink. And life stinks. What was, what was he dealing with? He was dealing with a downcast spirit because he had unconfessed, unrepented of sin in his life. Now, I'll tell you this. Not every depression is the results of sin, but I will say that some depression in our life is a result of sin. 
be very conscious of that. Here's a third myth. Depression is decreasing with the medical advances and the lifestyle comforts of our culture. Think about it. You know, we got all these great meds now. You can take this pill or that pill or this pill. And, and if you get tired of that pill, you can go try this other pill out. And, you know, there is some value in those, okay, to get balanced and get back on track. But whenever our coping mechanisms with the stresses and the depressions of life is a lifestyle of medication, whether it's substance abuse or it's prescribed, and that is our lifestyle mechanism, coping mechanisms, then we are in trouble. And if we think that, okay, I just need more comforts in my life, and the more comforts I have around me, the better off. This age of comforts that we live in, and this age of, uh, of, of, of material prosperity that we have, does not remove depression from us. World Health Organization says that depression is the second common cause for disability, but they believe in the next 10 years it'll be number one. It's growing. We've got a couple people up here on stage uh, today that I want to help contribute to this because I want for what I believe is probably in this size of a congregation, maybe 15 to 20 percent of you are either right now in serious depression, or you have been in serious depression before. But I wanted to give you a face that probably I could have another 15 or so people up here. But we have Andy Johnson, who's uh, been a member of our church for uh, a while now and uh, uh, works at Walmart, has lived a full life. Uh, uh, not that you're finished with your life, but you've been living a full life and God's been blessing and uh, he's 40 like me, so it's a full life now. And, and then we got the pastor's daughter up here. You know, the pastors and daughters, and they don't, they don't face depression. See, at our house, everything's perfect, and we never face this kind of stuff. And so, but I wanted to have both of them up here to kind of share a little bit of their story, and I want to ask them a few questions. Um, let me ask you all, what was the source of your depression? If you can just give us a brief background on that, and just whoever wants to jump in first, uh, go, go for it. But what was the source of uh, your depression? So um, I'll try to make it brief. Uh, I, right out of high school, I uh, was in uh, the military, uh, the Army. Uh, I was a photographer for three years. And when I got out of the Army uh, in 1989, I went to college and, uh, and sort of made that transition. Uh, my wife and I got married. And uh, in the summer of 1991, the Gulf War happened. And uh, I got called back up to active duty. And uh, that was something that was very unexpected, and um, I kind of transitioned out of that. And so I found myself, um, I kind of call it uh, studying for a semester abroad, because the way it worked out is we were on quarters, and I literally spent the winter quarter in Iraq serving. And uh, the way way it sort of happened is that uh, the timing was that when I came back from, from the war, I could immediately get back in class. So imagine that, um, you know, one day I'm sort of in this war zone and going through that, and two days later I'm sitting in a classroom, mm-hmm. uh, you know, studying geography. And um, I think basically what happened there is that I, I engaged into life again so quickly that I just did not give myself the time to sort of reflect on the things that I saw and the things that I experienced over there. And, uh, you know, within six months or so I just... I just felt different, and I knew something was wrong, and uh, it was just sort of a, <clears throat> a spiral downward, 
I think in my marriage with Noel, we, you know, I had left as newlyweds and came back and had that expectation that we were going to pick up where we, where we left off, and that was over. We weren't newlyweds anymore. Yes. And so, uh, so your honeymoon was a very short-lived honeymoon. Yeah, and it added with stresses that you know, we, just, we never anticipated. And so um, it was really about two or three years later, we'd, I'd finished college and we'd moved to Los Angeles to work in the film and television industry where I finally just sort of mm-hmm. uh, took some action. Great. Lord, uh, Jordan, I'm sorry, you looked just like my wife. <laughs> uh, would you tell us kind of your journey to depression? Yes. Tell me your dad did not cause it. <laughs> it was not from him, I promise. Okay, I'm a sophomore right now. In the beginning of my freshman year, I became sick, and I was a cheerleader. I was athletic, and I was on the track team, and I'd run every day. Like, I love running. Very athletic, very sociable and enthusiastic, outgoing, and all of a sudden I got sick with this unknown sickness that I've never heard of before. It's called autonomic dysfunction, but they were run tests over and over and over and no answers, and I just gave hope on God. I was like, you know what? If you were really God, you would, and you don't want your people suffering, so why are you letting me suffer through this? I didn't cheer hardly anymore, barely made it through basketball season, didn't do track at all because I can't run. Um, I'd be dizzy, headaches all the time, and side pains. I'd I'd wake up in pain, go to sleep in pain. And I didn't know what caused that, and I didn't know what God was doing in my life. And I gave hope on God, gave up hope on God, and I didn't want him in my life anymore because if he wasn't going to heal me, I had no interest in him at all. And they know what's going on now, but and I'm coming out of that slowly. But that's... Thank you. Yeah, I think about your two situations. Yours started out as a physical situation that went to an emotional. Yours was a circumstantial that ended up in an emotional situation. You're a, you're a female. You're a male. You're, you're at one age. It doesn't matter, but as, as you sit there and tell your stories, let me ask you this. What does depression feel like to a person whenever it's gripped you at the very core? Can you paint a picture of that? I think it's different for for everybody. Um, For me, it was just the realization that I was different. I felt different than I used to. Um, You know, I I just would wake up in the morning and I would say, what happened to me? What happened to the guy that I knew? Um, Energetic, uh, loved to uh, socially interact. Um, uh, I I just felt completely different and I could not... Uh, you know, sort of put my finger on it, but I just kept asking that question to myself. What happened to the guy that I was? So you knew there was a difference between pre-war Andy and post-war Andy. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I just, I felt And you couldn't different. just flip a switch and it changed? No, and I think it, it, it ended up sort of getting worse and worse and worse. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, there's lethargy involved. There was some weight gain involved. There were just things where you just look in the mirror and you just go, holy smokes, mm-hmm. who is this guy? Because yeah. I was this young, vibrant sort of, you know, go-getter, and I just feel like I am just, you know, in some sort of malaise. Wow. T- tell us what it felt like for you, Jordan, uh, at your very core. Can you paint a picture for that? Your day-to-day, how did it affect you? For me, I didn't care. I didn't care what was going on in the world, about society, about my social friends. I don't I didn't care. I don't want to get up in bed. I wanted to sleep all day, hide under the covers and sleep away the anxiety and pain and fear that I had because I, I was 
I was scared of what was coming onto me because mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what was happening. And um, I didn't. I got to the point where it's like, did this world really care about me if I was gone? Does it really matter if I was here? Does God care? That's. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that there is uh, just an overwhelming sense of I just I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can totally relate to that as well. Um, it's amazing because things go through your mind that you never thought you'd think. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, and I think it's a, a power of, you know, this series about emotions that um, you can have the rational and intellectual in your mind of saying, this doesn't make sense, this isn't who I am, how could I possibly believe that this world would be better if I'm not in it? Yeah. But yet that emotion literally will trump that intellectual. Yeah. It's that powerful. Wow. It makes no rational sense, but it feels so real that you believe it. Let me ask you both this. What did you learn in your, in your series and season of depression? What did you learn about yourself, about others, and about God? And maybe you won't hit all those, but maybe one of those. What did you learn about in those areas of your life? Well, I think um, learning about myself, I think it's interesting when you go on a journey of self-discovery like this that you have to look at yourself and you have to look at your family. And, you know, one of the things that I learned for myself is, you know, I'm a creative guy. I've always worked in a creative job. And creative people struggle with, with depression more than your average Joe. Um, there's a reason why, you know, they coined the phrase the tortured artist um, because it's just something that is more prevalent in that community. I think the other thing that I looked into was just my family. I just started asking questions. Mm-hmm. Did anybody feel this way? Did, did, does anybody struggle with this? And, of course, you know, generations back, people just didn't talk about yeah. this sort of stuff. You know, come to find out there were a couple of suicides in my family, on both sides of my family, where it's absolutely clear that depression was um, a part of that. And one of the suicides I never even heard about until I started asking questions because, you know, it happened in the 40s at some point. Wow. Wow. you? Um, the one thing that I learned about God is when I'm weak, God is strong no matter what. And something that I learned about myself is that it's okay to feel vulnerable and it's okay to fall on your knees and cry and ask God for help. And um, the thing about others that I learned is something that's really like been a burden is I start hurting for others when I see them because I want to fix it. But I have to know that I can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. And I I'm a stubborn person. And I used to think that I could do it all by myself. And I can't. And I want to fix it for them. But the best thing I can do is wait, be patient, and pray. And that's what shows love to God is waiting, be patient, there's and a well, There's an element of going. You, you can't take everybody out of their depression. You may have to journey with them through it. One, 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 go ahead. I just was going to say, um, you know, I think in terms of what I learned uh, in my relationship with the Lord is that um, he, he's faithful to, uh, to redeem situations that feel unredeemable. And I've experienced that in a lot of different areas in my life. And um, it, it's interesting that th- this depression that I went through started a journey of God dealing with me on the issue of pride. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's 20 years ago. Yeah. And uh, he, he still got a little work in me on that, just a little bit. <laughs> um, but um, it, it's interesting that when you uh, sort of lay it out to him, um, uh, he will find a way, uh, if you do your part, to redeem that situation and bring it back to a place where you never thought it could be. Beautiful. One, one statement, one sentence from each one of you. If there's people out here who are dealing with a depression, 
whatever level or degree, we, we don't have a meter to measure that. What's one statement you would make to, to them out there to sum up what you would encourage them to do, say, whatever? I, I think for me it would just be start a conversation. Um, nothing can happen until you start talking. And uh, I, I think that if you found family members or church members around that you they would be more than willing to listen to you and to engage in that conversation. And I think the other thing is is that if this is something that, um, that you think that you need to, to tackle and deal with, that make sure that you are um, looking at both the emotional, the, the physical, and the spiritual because they're all intertwined. Um, you can't just take a pill, and I, I don't believe that you can just throw up a Hail Mary to God either and say, you know, heal me of this. Um, there's, you need to talk about things. You need to uh, find out if there's medication that you need to take. And I think you really need to go to the Lord and, and, um, and, uh, and uh, you know, pray for healing and, and, right. and find out what he's trying to do in your life. Thank you. Thank you. What would you say? One second. Um, for me, it would be don't push God away and let him in because really when it feels like he's so far away from you and he's he's rejecting you it's really you rejecting him because you keep building up that wall because you want to do it on your own but really he's reaching his hand in there and he's just waiting for you to grab it but you just have to grab it and have faith about that awesome give these guys a hand it takes some boldness to be able to stand up here and uh and speak to a bunch of uh people that uh you don't know What's the antidote for depression? Real quickly, number one, it's hope, 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 hope. We've got to restore hope to people. Hope, you've got to have hope in your life. You've got to understand that hope is, 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 is not a pill. It's, it's not in a bottle. It's not in anything else. But hope is vitally important antidote for getting past depression. And I want us to understand in this entire series that I am not trying to give you Christian easy answers to, to deal with these emotional issues. This will be a lifetime journey. There will be a proclivity in, in some people's lives to constantly deal with depression and constantly be facing it and fighting with it. So this is only one message to hopefully give you something to stake in the ground for the rest of your life as you deal with it that you've got to find that source of hope. And let's take our Bibles and let's look at Second uh, Timothy today. And I've got to give you three very quick moves to kick, uh, to invite hope in and kick depression out. Um, and as we think about that, I want us to just understand that Paul dealt with depression as well. We've dealt with all these other prophets that dealt with depression. But let me, let me read one verse to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to these words. Our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Again, you hear even in the words of Paul that he was dealing with this black dog that Winston Churchill spoke of. In 2 Corinthians, uh, we're going to be looking at a couple of things, a couple of moves. first move that we can make is our perspective brings power and perseverance. You cannot, you cannot underestimate the value of your perspective. Point number one is that you've got to look at and understand the power of your perspective and how, how you looking, are looking at your life is extremely important. 
I want to read a passage of Scripture here to you. We'll break it apart in different times. But listen to what Paul said. And listen to what he was going through at the same time, what he, the perspective that he had. In verse 8 it says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Do you see in Paul this idea that everything was peachy, everything was smooth, everything was easy, he had no issues to deal with? Absolutely not. You see that he was persecuted, you see that he was afflicted, you see that he was perplexed, you see that he was struck down, but you also see in his words, I'm not crushed, I'm not despairing, I'm not forsaken, and I'm not destroyed. There is something about Paul of a perseverant nature in him that he was able to persevere through the pains, persevere through the complexities, persevere through uh, the persecution that he was going through in life. And sometimes that comes down to a simple perspective. On your perspective, on your circumstances. Mayo Clinic did a study and found that that the optimists live 20% longer than those who were pessimists. So are you going to be an optimist in your circumstances or a pessimist in them? There's so much more I could share, share, but we need to move on. Point number two is very important. The second move that we make, one is our perspective, but the second move that we make is that we need to renew yourselves daily from the inside out. There must be a renewal of daily taking in, of daily doing some work on the interior of who we are in our soul if we're going to get past what we're dealing with. In our, in, our, in our hearts, if you if we saw there in uh, in verse 16, but also up in verse, or, uh, in, excuse me, in verse 8, but you saw in verse 7, and we I don't know if it'll be on, on the screen, but it says this: but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. See what, what, what one thing that Paul realized is he will realize that he wasn't this mighty warrior, but he realized as much as anything that he was nothing but a clay pot. He was an earthen vessel. And it is, it is an image that I think we need to understand that, that I am weak and that unless, as Jordan said, unless I realize where my strength is coming from, it's vitally important that we renew ourselves. Look down at verse 16 and notice what, what Paul says here. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though the outer man is decaying, that earthen vessel image there, Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. There must be inside of us a process of renewal where I am taking initiative, I'm taking, I'm taking ownership of my soul and of my spirit and of my emotions, that I am meeting with God, I'm connecting with others, that I'm seeing the value of this, that it is going to restore me. And we've got to understand that there's at least two parts of this renewal that I would see that are a part of my life, that I hope that are also a part of your life. The very first part of this day-by-day renewing is that, that, that we must withdraw daily with God. Withdrawing daily with God is absolutely crucial. And, I, and we talked about this in the essentials, and I, and I don't back down from it, that we need everyday times of silence, solitude, and Scripture. And that's that part of renewing ourselves day by day. Look at what the psalmist said out of the message. He says, why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? 
fix my eyes on God, soon I will be praising again. And He puts a smile on my face. He is my God. I'm down in the dumps. I've got the blues. But I'm going to keep my eyes, my relationship with God very real and very very on fire. And through that, I will find that He will renew me in the inner being. But it's not, not only do we need to withdraw daily, but we need to commune with brothers and sisters regularly. We need to commune with brothers and sisters on a very regular basis. And that, and that means we have to be in a relationship with people. But I'm afraid this is what happens when you enter into depression. You withdraw. You, you get alone. You try to take it on yourself. You don't want to open yourself up. But I want to say this. We've got to learn to be in community with one another. We've got to have those relationships that, as, as Paul said in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I need to be able to live life with you and you live life with me that as you're living out your life and you're going through the best days or you're going through the worst days, we can live life together. I'm afraid that so many of us isolate ourselves in times of depression. We have a system set up at Grace Point Church called Body Life Groups that we are trying to create environments that will encourage community. You may not need them today, but the problem is, is that somebody else may need you today. And you may need them tomorrow. And you can weep with them today as they weep, and you can rejoice with them as they, as they rejoice, and then vice versa. You need community. I've said it before in every North Point class, is that if you don't become a part of a body life group at Grace Point Church, you're a short-termer here. You are. Because that's where the community takes place. That's where when you're going through life and life is falling apart, you have brothers and sisters around you who are walking with you. But Paul realized the value of day-to-day renewing the inner man. Okay? Here, here's, 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 a third, here's a third move that we're going to make if we're going to kick depression out and move in and move into our life uh, the joy and the hope that needs to be there. Know the difference between temporal troubles and eternal rewards. And right underneath that in your notes, put the, this phrase, big picture thinking. Big picture thinking. When you are in depression, you will have this tremendous temptation. Well, it will be a natural response that you will do this right here. You will, you will build up things around you and that all of a sudden, all that you will see in life, all that you will see is that one momentary issue that you're dealing with, that one momentary thing, and you will even bury your face in that situation blocking out all other works of God in history and and promises of God in the future and the working of God in relationships in the present. And all you will see is your issue. And it's when you're there that causes people like Elijah to say, I'd rather die than live. I am lost in my problem. And what we have to do is we have to forcibly move ourselves back and constantly, because there's this temptation to go down and look at our issues, we've got to constantly push ourselves back so that we can truly see the eternal, the big picture of what God wants to do in our life, what He's done in the past, what He promises in the future, and what He is doing 
in the present. Verse 17 and 18. He said, For momentary light affliction. (laughs) Sometimes it seems so heavy, but in reality, in the big picture, it's actually light. The light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. For beyond all comparison, while we look not... Again, where are you looking? Are you here buried in your situation? Or where are you looking? For we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's developing a big picture thinking that it will begin to move me out of my circumstances and begin to see God at work in my circumstances. Here's a life principle for you. Memorize it. Never waste a pain. Never waste a pain. Whatever pain you may be going through, don't waste it. Ask, look, ask others. God, what are you teaching me? How do I need to change? How does this fit into your big scheme of things? What are you up to here? How can I learn? How am I going to be better through this? Versus traumatized to the point of depression. James chapter 1 verse 12. I want to close with this verse. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive a crown of life that God has promised to those who love This verse is a beautiful verse to close on. Because I think it says a couple of things. I think it makes it very clear that I don't care if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian or you're soon to be a Christian or you're far from God. It doesn't matter who you are. You will face hell weeks in your life. You will face hell weeks, hell seasons, hell years. You will feel like you're pledging for your fraternity or sorority on an emotional level. And we will all go through them. Nobody is exempt from them. And I think another lesson that I I take away is that we will face depression knocking at our doors on a regular basis. And if we don't answer the door to depression, guess what? It will make its way in somehow. It will kick the door down and it will come in. And then we'll be having to deal with it in a forced kind of way. But the antidote for depression is hope. And if I can reconnect with God, if I can connect with God, and as Jordan said, don't, as much as she wanted to push God away, don't push Him away. That's what she did. And we saw it happen in our home. We saw it happen. And boy, we prayed for her. And, and, and it was not an easy answer, and it was not a quick answer, and it was not a quick answer prayer. It was one of those things that the reality is, is that depression will rob you of joy of living. The question is whether or not you're going to find hope in that circumstance. We're going to have an opportunity where you may, you may just need to sit still. You may want to stand up and sing with us. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know where you're going to be. You may want to come and just kneel here at the front and say, God, I am depressed and I lay it here for you now. This is your time to respond.
Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to hear and respond to your voice. Speak to us now. In a beautiful way. And help us to see ourselves not as hopeless and helpless, but as with hope and with the help of your presence. We pray this in Jesus.